The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Nope, I have kicked Keith out. Technically, I did not. He's actually on his way to Sanford. Tonight is uh, Thursday, and it will be ETSU women's basketball. It is the women's team taking on Sanford. I guess the biggest question is Andrea Bailey going to play. She didn't play against Western Carolina. Maybe that changes things for them. I'm going to break that game down in the last segment. I am not alone, though. I'm not going to ride solo today. I do have Kevin Brown of the Brown Down, the famous Brown Down, as me and him got in a little bit of a, um, what do we call this, a, a seating uh, uh disagreement that's not that's not the right word it was like a, a discussion a discussion where um and we'll, we'll break this down in just a second because there's such a jumble at the top three teams tied for the one two three there's a jumble for five through eight the only things we know for sure is right now western's a, a basically a two game in front two game behind lead in fourth place and then you're looking at El Cid's a game behind. Citadel's a game behind ninth. They could jump back up into that five through eight, and we know VMI's at ten. So we started going down this route, and of basically, as we do on our Southern Conference breakdown, and we normally don't start with the Southern Conference breakdown, but that's where we're going to go today uh, because it was fresh uh, on our minds, and I was uh, like, hey, I did all this work. I came up with the seating. Kevin goes, well, I got something different, and I did the same thing. And so then it was like, you know what? I was like, you bring your list. I'll bring mine. This is this is what podcast material is for, right? And so we're going to tell you if the season ended today. Obviously, it's not. We're not. Thank goodness we're out of the knock on wood or whatever is in front of me here. We're out of the, the, the pandemic-type stuff that would knock, like, the rest of the season out, right? We're going to be able to play it out. All this is moot. Let me just say that out loud again. There are a lot of games to go. So this is not how anything's going to finish. But we wanted to have fun because we're podcasting. That's what we do. And we wanted to look at Southern Conference matchups, Southern Conference tournament. So the breakdown, I think, where we agreed, if I'm looking at this right, was Furman, Sanford, UNCG are all at 11-2 and two, uh, on the men's side. And we'll briefly look at the women, but they play a couple of games Thursday, Saturday. So we're going to really break down the women's seating uh, coming up next Wednesday. And I know we normally record on Wednesday, but there were some travel things that uh, worked uh, disadvantage for me and Kevin in some meetings yesterday. It just went long. Uh, you know, real job stuff. So we get a podcast today. Furman, Sanford, UNCG at 11-2. and two. Furman's at 2-1, and one, right? That's what Correct. you yeah. – Okay. And then uh, Sanford's at 1-1, one and one, UNCG at 1-2. and two. Now, again, those aren't all equal. Sanford has to play both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Furman and UNCG have already played each other twice. So they've just each got Sanford once. So I think – you know, maybe a little bit more of advantage to Furman since they've got a couple of wins in that three-way tiebreaker. But just because they've not played enough, the two and one is a better percentage. So Furman's one, Sanford then at one and one would be a two. Again, they've still got two games to go, and then UNCG a three. Again, this is for fun, people. Like, okay, four is simple. I got that one. I know we cannot disagree on that. That is Western Carolina. Just because Carolina. they got what forty-seven points last night from Cherry Jackson and a gift from Wofford not winning in regulation. So. Yeah, and we can talk about that too. Last night's results, because I think those are those are interesting. We can do that afterwards, but I think that is, I, I think there needs to be something said about Trey Jackson's performance because that was ridiculous yeah. uh, from some of the stuff that I was watching. So, but 
four games back of the top three Western, not enough. I mean, there technically is enough games, but really not enough games because not all those teams are going to lose four or five games. So Western, you know, is fighting pretty much for the four slot. Then we get into the interesting uh, Chattanooga, Wofford, Mercer, ETSU, all five and eight. So how it breaks down in that pod, ETSU is three and three. Wofford, Chattanooga, Mercer are two and two. So if everyone's following that, ETSU has played more games against those three. We're going to do remaining game schedule type things here in just a minute. But where we differ is I had Wofford winning the four-way tiebreaker, eventually uh, breaking it because they beat Sanford would be the five seed. Then you go back to a three-way tie. Then ETSU has the worst record there. They dropped eight. Then we go still in that three-way tie because that was easily broken. You got Chat Mercer 6-7. You had something different. Yeah, I took it as since we had three wins, and if the season ended today, everyone else had two, we would jump to the five seed, and then you break off those other three and go through those tiebreakers and peel that back. And you mentioned Wofford beating Samford. That would benefit Wofford in that three-game tiebreaker. But I put us at five and then did the math after that for the uh, six, seven, eight. No, I'm and- – that's where you stopped me my tracks. So number one, I enjoyed uh, yours much better than mine because the five seed is much yes. better <laughs> than uh, what I have for ETSU as the eight. And then, of course, Citadel and VMI. So if it ended today and Southern Conference Tournament started tomorrow on Friday, then on mine, the 8-9 game is ETSU-Citadel rematch of last year, Mercer-VMI 7-10. The winner of ETSU-Citadel gets Furman. The 4-5 matchup is Wofford-Western. The 3-6 is UNCG-Chat. And then Sanford, the 2, would get the winner of Mercer-VMI. Now, yours would look different. Yeah, I would have us playing Western in the 4-5 game. And then in the Friday playing games, you'd have Chattanooga, the 7th seed, playing uh, oh, I VM- love that too. VMI, the 10. And then you'd have Mercer-Citadel at 8-9. Furman would be the 1, awaiting that 8-9 winner. Sanford, the 2, awaiting Chattanooga-VMI winner. And then the three six would be UNCG Wofford. Okay, so and again, it really is a matter, but it's a big jump because the only thing that's different in our standings is is it Wofford Chat Mercer ETSU or ETSU Wofford Chat Mercer. Um, so it's really where did the Bucks fall and do they bump everybody back or not? Now, again, we did all that uh, and I, because hey, we have no life uh, late at night and. Nobody's watching Southern Conference. I mean, maybe SoCon John, but nobody's watching every game and writing down all these results and trying to figure this stuff out. And this is part of the thing that we actually got so good at it when we were in Atlantic Sun that the conference sometimes would call and say, hey, would you two, separately of what we did, would you two do all the tiebreakers and give us the scenarios? And then they would see if what I had matched what Kevin had matched what the league had, right? I mean, yep. this is this is one thing that, like, I, you know, Mike Gallagher used to hate this stuff, and that's why he would say, hey, could, could you do the, that stuff and, you know, do all the tiebreakers? Like, he was great at all the other research, but he didn't want to do any part of the tiebreak scenarios and going to figure out, and especially once you got to, um, you know, soccer's a little easier, uh, especially on the, uh, you know, the single round robin, some mm-hmm. things. I mean, that's a little easier to break down. But once you got into, like, baseball and some of the other ones where there's, you know, you're playing series of games, like, it's really – you really got to do some some math on some of those. So yeah, especially when you don't get if one series doesn't get played full three games, right? They get two games, yeah. And, yeah. So all that. So 
that's where we are there. Now, we thought we'd take it a step further uh, when going on the breakdown here on the men's side and look at taking really Furman and Sanford UNCG, other than you can say Sanford has a little bit of a tougher road, if you will, because they've got to play Furman and UNCG, where Furman and UNCG do not play each other anymore. So out of the top three, Sanford has two games against the top three, where Furman and UNCG basically have one game uh, against the, the top three. Then we thought we'd take, and we may look at Western second, but then we'd take the other four teams. Because really you can look at Western could come back to the pack a little bit, plus Citadel could maybe get a win or two there. Who has the toughest road um, as far as this guy? I don't know how you want to break it. Do you want to go by each team, or did you do it by who has the toughest, who has the lead? How did, how did you – because this, this was this was your idea, and you, and you did all the legwork here, so I don't want to steal the thunder. Yeah, so I broke it down. I took the teams remaining that are tied with us. I also included Western and uh, Citadel. Took their win-loss percentage in SOCOM play left. Citadel's got the toughest remaining road with uh, remaining opponents' win percentage at 569. Now, ETSU fans, you don't want to hear this. We have the second toughest road <laughs> at 523. Our rema- remaining opponents' record, 34 and 31. So, Citadel and us have the toughest road. And then uh, Wofford's got the easiest road. Their remaining schedule's at 400. And we talked about earlier, they beat Samford. So, they also have that big tiebreaker win that will help them. And they've got the easiest schedule left. So who do they have left? They have left. Now, they, their tough game is coming up at UNCG on Sunday, I believe. And then uh, Mercer at Citadel at VMI. And then the end at home against Chattanooga. Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a favorable schedule there. Uh, so out of the ties there, Citadel has the toughest, but they're game back. So that's yeah. not good news. Out of the tie, then ETSU, out of the four-way tie, ETSU then uh, takes the mantle of toughest and again they get three home games two road games one of them obviously western carolina Furman. so you're all right out of out of that and you said wofford's easiest where does i guess mercer chat fall in the strength of schedule so that chat would be the second highest uh, remaining opponent their opponents are 33 and 32 508 win percentage they've got mercer this weekend then they go to vmi they got UNCG at home, Samford, and then at Wofford. So yeah, they still got UNCG and Samford left, so that's not that's not favorable for them. Mercer, just a 492 opponents win percentage left at 32 and 33. They got at Chattanooga this weekend, at Wofford, a team that they lost to by a point at the buzzer back in January. Western Carolina at home, at Furman, and then they close at home against the Citadel. Just to show you what kind of sickos uh, that we are and have no life, we did all of that knowing – that Wofford is going to play two of the teams they're tied with in this gaggle of teams. So next week, I'd be shocked if we're jumbled with four tied teams again. I think they'll start to be a little bit of a separation. Uh, you know, because if you look at it, Mercer could do a lot if they go 2-0, and 0-2, even 1-1, and depending on what, what else goes. I mean, ETSU, you know, if you just look at – percentage based whatever they play the bookend top and bottom team right vmi at the bottom Furman at top so if they in theory go one-on-one they're right there chattanooga obviously depending what they do with mercer and their second game's vmi yeah vmi yep so you're looking at you know if again if they go two and oh right in there and then wofford's other game besides mercer is uncg uncg yeah so oh see that can still all be one-on-one i I can see a scenario um you know, where maybe Wofford beats Mercer, loses UNCG, but then Mercer 
Um, beats Chad, as I said, they lost to Wofford. Then Chad lost, but then beat VMI and ETSU. Beats VMI. And then the, uh, right there, all four teams are one and one, and we're right back where we were. Well, that's why I think these next two are critical. We have to beat VMI tomorrow, and we have to go on the road to beat Western. A, for tiebreaker scenarios, but then if you're Chattanooga, you're like, well, we still have UNCG and Samford left, which, yeah, they're tough teams, but if you beat one of them or both, that's going to help you with tiebreakers, where we only have Furman left and we would have to knock them off in case you get in those funky tiebreakers to where you go to the top first place team, second place team, third place team. You want to have one of those in your back pocket, which Western has by beating Furman and Wofford has by beating Sanford. Okay, we're talking to Kevin Brown, who's uh, diving down in the numbers uh, that, that we like to do. And, of course, the late Coach Kim used to call them digits because of all these uh, deep dives that he would get into. Here's, I guess – because of the the standings again, ETSU has played Wofford, Chap, Mercer each twice. They are they are three and three. Mercer, it's if you're an ETSU fan, you need Mercer to finish outside the top because they hold the tiebreaker. You need ETSU to finish tied with Wofford because they do hold the tiebreaker. Did Mercer because they played Wofford and so Mercer would have lost to if my math is right, they would have lost to Wofford and Chat because they beat ETSU twice. Yeah. So they would have lost. So this is big for Mercer because if they lose to Wofford or Chet, then they lose that tiebreaker automatically. So, th- I mean, this there will be a – I think this group of four will really um, take shape next week just because of Mercer and uh, having played those two. Now, when does Wofford and Chet, they play further down the road, do they the not? Last game of the season. Yeah, it's, okay. Yeah. So that one could possibly determine uh, another tie. But I think we'll know a lot more about the shapes of the tiebreakers. And then even though teams may become untied and retied later, at least we know when they're tied back up again, we'll already kind of have the math. Western, let me ask this. So they're – Two games – I think they said they were two games. They're four games back of the top three. I misspoke, uh, I think, mm. at the top of the podcast. But they're two up on everybody else. Their remaining schedule, last five, obviously ETSU's the next game. Who's their first game? They got Furman. Okay, Saturday, so Furman, yeah. ETSU. So, in theory, obviously a tough game against Furman. They beat once him. already. Yeah, well, that's right. They already won once already. So, Furman, Furman may be uh, fired up for that. Maybe not, but they've already – They've already beaten Furman. They've already beaten ETSU, which is the next two on their schedule. Who's the last three? At Mercer, at Greensboro, at home against VMI. At Mercer, at Greensboro. Okay, so they definitely got the VMI game at Mercer. And then at Greensboro. Yeah, those are two. That would be interesting. I could see – I mean, I could see a 4-1 and one type run for Western during that. I could also – a 1-4 and four could yes. be quite possible as well, and then they fall back down. Uh, it's hard to really put – that's the one team – I've talked the most about with Keith. I don't know what to do with them because there's some games you watch them and they're unbelievably uh, a good, efficient scoring team and can put up a lot of points. And there's some games you watch and it looks like they've never touched the basketball before in their life. So I don't know what to do with it. I think it still comes down to made shots. And, I mean, obviously if Trey Jackson throws, you know, 47 on the board again, which we're going to talk about in a second, then – yeah, you, I mean, you get anybody to throw 40 on the board, you probably got a good shot to win about any game you step on the floor and play. Yeah, and we saw that when Jordan King went off for 42 against Citadel back in January, and we had a comfortable win in, in Charleston. And then last night, though, Wofford, I thought, had that game won. And all of a sudden, it goes to overtime, and things fall apart. And listening to the broadcast, the Wofford uh, broadcasters just felt disgusted. So it makes you wonder – 
how does Wofford bounce back, especially having to go now to UNCG, a team we just saw on Tuesday night, didn't think that they could light it up, and they lit it up against us. So Wofford's got a tough road ahead, and then they got Mercer, a team that Mercer's want to be licking their chops after losing a heartbreaker last month at home to the Terriers. So Wofford, they got to they gotta regroup, regroup quickly, I think. All right, so at the top, and then we're going to go back, and I'm going to ask you a specific ETSU question, and we'll transition to some results from last night. At the top, do you think Furman UNCG will end up number one? And I'm not asking strength of schedule. I'm just asking, you know, do you think – I mean, I think Furman – I mean, I'd have to look at uh, – you know, we, we're really breaking down the other. I, 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 don't, I know Furman has got Western, then they're at the Citadel – then they host uh, ETSU, right? Is that yep. right? Yes, and yep. they host ETSU. Then after that, they've got Mercer at home, and then the big one is at Sanford. So maybe that could be a de facto championship game. And the thing with Sanford is there are two big games remaining. UNCG and Furman are both in Birmingham. So well, they got that going for them. And, and here's the other thing, too, is if, let's say, Furman was a game behind Sanford, that's a huge game, too, because if – they were able to win again, Furman, they would sweep mm-hmm. Sanford and then they have the season series. Yeah. Or, you know, I'd be curious if they were tied going into it. If they're tied going into it, then basically that would be a de facto championship game. And then for UNCG, their schedule's a, a, a little bit more of a smorgasbord. Yeah, they got, we mentioned Wofford on Sunday at Sanford. That's the big one for them. At Chattanooga, Western Carolina, and then they end the season here in Johnson City against our Buccaneers. So, and honestly, the way they played Tuesday night, I guess maybe because it's fresh in our in our minds, you know, top defensive team, and then that twenty-four to three run where they hit eleven straight shots. Offensively, if they continue that, which I know they haven't been able to do all season, I'd say they'd be the team to beat. But I guess based on scheduling, you would have to go Furman. Would be right now, I would say, would be the number one seed. As much as it pains me to say, they would be the number one seed. I would go out on a limb. I'm going to say UNCG would probably finish the number one seed if, at the end of the year. I like it. Yeah, a little bit of a bold – maybe I should hit the bold prediction bumper there. All right, I don't know that's bold either. I mean, all three of them there, they play the best defense. I talked yeah. about this. Socon John's working on it for me. He's uh, We've gone back and forth. He's going to do a deep dive. See if you like this. I gave him a homework assignment of the average fouls called in the championship game between the two teams versus their regular their two regular season matchups. Mm. And so I asked for five, but I told him it might be better to go ten just to make sure the sample size is enough because my argument for UNCG against other people that uh, they're not as offensively inclined. Now, we could talk about each issue in a second, but offensively inclined is the fact that if it's a tighter game and they're allowed to get away with more physical play, that favors UNCG over Sanford and Furman. Mm. Not that each team – can't play a little physical but that's the bread and butter of Mike Jones and what he wants to do as a Spartan so I'm curious to see what those numbers are uh Socon John is going to have that for me in a week or so he's got other jobs so he's kind of working on it like we do other numbered things so we're going to be able to try to figure that out because I'm interested to see and let's say it's a five to six foul difference let's say in the first and I'm just making up numbers let's just say they averaged you know 30 and a half fouls in the first two games and then all of a sudden you get to the championship game and it's tighter and there's 22 fouls 23 fouls and it's gonna be to me that is a huge and we see this all the time and 
I, the way, and that's the reason why Coach Forbes and Coach Miller and, and Mike Young and those guys really tried to push to play uh, Wednesday to get better officials because when you get to the SOCON tournament, it's called differently because you have higher level officials. It's also the NCAA tournament's called that way. So at least get you prepared for tournament type basketball and seeing that stuff on Wednesday certainly pans out, I think, in being a huge advantage for the teams as they prepare to go. And that's why I think if UNCG can get to the title game and what big advantage is it if you're the one seat because and again i know uh, western's you know a wild card and can shoot and all that but clearly there's three top teams yeah. so if you can avoid one of those in the semifinals and not have maybe a, as tough a matchup as you would in the other semifinal getting the championship game that's a huge advantage yeah and no, i agree and I, I like that research project i can't wait to see those numbers and also too you're going to get a veteran officiating crew that's not going to put up with some antics that we have seen this season, and hopefully they have a quick whistle because I feel like that that's kind of hurt us a little bit in some of these conference games where teams keep getting away with some some of this stuff that they're, they're going to call, I think, in a, in a conference championship game or in an NCAA tournament game. You're not going to be able to flop and show a ref up. You're not going to be able to slam a ball on the, on, on the ground and yell in some guy's face and, and show up an opponent like that. The refs are going to stand in there and get things under control early on in a conference tournament game because they don't want all hell breaking loose and and all of a sudden having to maybe have ejections or a fight break out towards the end of the game. So they're going to get things under control come time in Asheville, and I think that's going to hurt a couple teams atop that league standings. I'm not going to mention any names. Those teams know who they are, and I'll be curious to see what happens once uh, play gets tight in Asheville. And I think, again, a top defensive team like UNCG will benefit from that. Speaking of all hell breaking loose, it was called UNCG three-point shooting uh, last game. And uh, just to touch on a couple things around league results here in our Southern Conference wrap-up, I mean, nine first-half threes, 73% shooting. But when you look at the the, the numbers um, overall for ETSU, I mean, there's a couple glaring things. One, four for ten free throws in the first half when they had a chance to kind of you know, make make a little bit of room, giving up nine threes for a team that's what averaging six, give or take, yeah, about six a game, fifteen threes. It was an unbelievable offensive onslaught that I don't know that UNCG will be able to put up again. And ETSU got a couple twenty point scores with Haynes and King. Haynes seven to thirteen, nine of fourteen from the line, a career high fourteen free throw attempts. Jordan King eight of sixteen, fifty percent four of nine from three. Those aren't bad numbers. ETSU just 11 turnovers. But, again, it's it's sort of how the turnovers happened. Um, points off turnovers, 17 off 11. That's If you get a point per turnover, that's pretty good. So, if you're over that, obviously it's really good. 16 second chance points. I mean, it was – UNCG looked the part of a number one seed for sure uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. They were tough, dominant, making shots, 11 straight shots. Went in the battle of the boards. We're a good, we're a good offensive rebounding team. We're a good overall rebounding team. We gave up eleven offensive rebounds. We only had five, which I believe might be a season low. Got out rebounded by thirteen. And I think the one discouraging part, though, is they did have a lot of open looks, and we just did not get a hand in the face. And we pride ourselves on playing good defense. And the other night, we just did not do that. Gave up the first fifty first half points. And you mentioned King and Haynes going what they did. Seymour had a pretty good night with 11.7 rebounds, but no one else wanted to step up and contribute. And if Haynes and King continue to do that, if we could just get one more guy to step up, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Seymour is interesting because I keep talking about him. He's averaging now close to 10 points in league action and right around eight boards, and which is way over his average. And so – 
once they've kind of told him uh, the yet what's it the yellow light on threes, you know, you used to have the green light, now it's a yellow light on threes. The other thing is try to get to the rim and score. But I think his rebound, where he started to like take pride into going to get rebounds, I think has shown um, that that's helped elevate his game, and he's been much better. Once they put him on the bench, said, "Hey, you're not getting back out there until you start rebounding." And once he started doing that, now you're seeing all the numbers come up. Yeah, and then you pointed out too his free throw shootings increased. You know, he was shooting like forty percent at the line, and whatever he's done to change that has gotten better. I think the one thing he can improve on though is finishing around the rim because he gets a lot of offensive boards, about almost three a game, and sometimes misses those bunnies. Where if he can finish that, he'll be putting up fifteen, sixteen points a night on top of those eight, nine rebounds. So finishing around the rim and that, that's not just for him all the Buccaneers you know Alan Struthers can get to the rim he can't finish Jordan Kings gets to the rim sometimes he struggles to finish Jalen Haynes and so forth and that's what we did well at Samford we just couldn't knock down three-point shots we got to the rim and finished at Samford the other night we just couldn't finish anywhere so down the stretch I think getting the ball in the paint we want to score at least 40 points in the paint and we've done that a handful of times this season and a lot of that will be credited to Jalen Haynes with the play he's been able to do but also the guard play too if they can drive and finish and get to the free throw line Jordan King going to the free throw line at 80 percent shooter more times than not you'll get that three-point play where you don't have to rely on the three-point shot couple bloodbaths last night. Of course, we record Thursday. uh, Really, a lot of meeting stuff. Couldn't quite get our normal Wednesday show out, so getting it out today. But Furman just rolled VMI, who continues to, you know, if they get to 60 points, I think it's a a miracle for them and a win for them. Problem is they gave up 94 points, five different Paladins, you know, in double figures. Did a nice job of kind of spreading uh, the wealth around. Alex Williams continues to play very good basketball. Uh, off the bench, efficient, seven of nine from the floor, four of six uh, from beyond the arc. So a big win there. And then Chattanooga, tight game first half with the Citadel, just a three-point lead, but 15 must have been the magic number, uh, at least in the SoCon this week, this midweek, because 15 made threes for Chattanooga, a pretty healthy number, five of them by Jamal Johnson, who went for 24. But those two blowouts, a little bit expected. Uh, maybe not Maybe not the way Chad ended up running away with it in the second half, but certainly two wins that you expect. Furman to beat VMI, Chattanooga at home to hold serve against the Citadel. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And seeing that score being close early on in Chattanooga kind of got my eyes open a little bit. But then, like you said, they pulled away and hit threes. That's what they do. They're going to put up a lot of threes. They're going to make some. And if they're hitting 15 a night, any team's going to be tough to beat. So just like Western Carolina, once they get to 10, their record is pretty pretty well. So to see them win at home, Chattanooga probably needed that win after some losses. So they, they got back in the win column. And Furman, everyone expected them to go into VMI. Even though VMI's played them tough in recent years in Lexington, just like a lot of teams, it's just a depleted VMI team right now where they've got their starters are playing all 25 minutes or more. You got a couple of guys averaging about 35, 34 minutes a game. They're, they're just, they don't have the bench. They got a lot of injuries and they don't, they don't go deep. So I, we move from there to two um, overtime games, and we're going to start with uh, the one at um, uh, the Mercer, uh, start with Sanford and Mercer. And I didn't watch that one because I was watching the other one. You caught the tail end of that and a very unhappy Greg Gary, apparently. Yeah, in overtime, there was – so Sanford had the ball. They put a shot up, and when I was watching it too, I didn't know if the, if the shot hit rim, but there was about five, six seconds left. Mercer got the rebound, had a chance to win it, and all of a sudden the, the, they got a shot off. It wasn't good. Greg Geary then fouls the officiating crew down the tunnel, out into the hallway, and let him have it because I saw him tapping his head, which made me think, okay, well, I think they wanted a shot clock violation, but also I think they wanted a timeout too. 
to set something up and both weren't credited. I've never seen a coach lose it like that, especially after the game going in the locker room like that. I think I've seen it one time a long, long way ago in an A-Sun title game uh, featuring Murray Bartow, but Greg Geary was not pleased, and I don't blame him, but also I think it stemmed to the possession before where they got to the Ram, the ball gets knocked out of uh, Mercer's offensive player's hands. I can't remember who it was, but there was contact made, no foul call, where a couple possessions earlier for Samford, they got a little bump and the foul. So Greg Geary thought there should have been some whistles. The broadcast team in Mercer thought it was a clean strip of the ball. I thought there was contact. I thought there should have been a foul call. So I, I was siding with Greg Geary, and I also thought, hey, they should have gotten at least a look to see if the ball hit rim for a shot clock violation, which, which they did not get to get Mercer something to set up. So Craig Gary being upset for that, I don't blame him. That would have been a big win, would have gotten him out of uh, the jumbled mess with the tie and also gave him a, a win against the team atop the standings to help him in tiebreakers. Yeah, I, so I didn't watch that one because I was watching uh, the other game. Uh, so Sanford goes on to win that, just to uh, kind of put a bow on that one, 70-69. to 69. In overtime and then down in Spartanburg, South Carolina, entertaining game. Wofford, five-point lead in the first half. Western uh, able to score, make up that five points. They go to overtime and then entertaining from there. Yeah, but even before that, Wofford had a seven-point lead with three and a half to go and couldn't finish it off, and I think that's what had a lot of people in Spartanburg upset. But, yeah, then it it gets tied at 80 because Trey Jackson, who went off for 47 points, hit the game-tying three with uh, less than a minute to go. And then he continued to go off, and it was, it was a tight game. And Wofford had a couple chances in that double overtime and just lost lost possession of the ball, didn't get shots up. And at the end, uh, Western Carolina was walked off to victorious, which was a big win for them. And Wofford was left reeling, wondering, what do you have to do to finish off a game and win, and win, especially being at home? And I think it was a place where Western Carolina has struggled going to Spartanburg and winning games. But when you have Trey Jackson doing what you're doing for 47 – and I can't remember who else someone went Wolbright. Wolbright. So think about this. If you had a guy that goes for 30 and 13 and he's not even talked about, <laughs> then you know you've had a good day. Yeah. Trey Jackson and Vontarius Wolbright, 77, 77 combined points. 26 made field goals. 26 of 47 combined. Trey lived up to his name, eight triples. Eight of 15 from out there. And he was 11-11 for the line. I mean, those are laughable. I mean, those are video game numbers sometimes, right? But they combined for 77. And, I, I, you know, Woolbright's a heck of a player. And I'm sitting here looking at 30 and 13. I'm like, I heard nobody mention that. When's the last time a guy had 30 and 13? And it's, it's a throwaway because another guy on your team had 47 points. No, you're right. That's incredible. And – we mentioned Jordan King with the 42. Fletcher McGee had 45 against Chattanooga a couple of years ago, too. So to add that 47 in the mix for a SOCOM player, Western Carolina. And I, th- I think, yeah, you mentioned the eight threes, but 11 out of 11 at the line. There were 20 of 26 as a team. And they got to that 10-point, uh, three-point mark, hitting 11 of their 31 attempts. But again, to, for Wofford to blow an eight-point lead with four to go, a seven-point lead with three and a half to go, you have to be wondering, what do we have to do? And, again, it was those turnovers. They had looks both times and just either didn't make shots or just coughed the ball up, and we know how that goes because we've had a lot of unforced turnovers ourselves in the last couple of games. Uh, again, then, my Hardy Star stat of the game, uh, which we usually don't do in the podcast, but I just wanted to you know drop a sponsor at some point. But 0 for 8, both teams combined. First overtime, second overtime, 0 for 8 from 3. Wow. Not one three-point shot went in in the 10 minutes 
of extra basketball. And uh, again, it was another one of those days for Wofford. Just three made, th- I think, a three fifteen, three sixteen, something like that. Um, tough day again, shooting from the outside. It was a good. You know, BJ Mack uh, was able to score, um, especially got to the free throw line. That helped eight for eight. But uh, just shocking to me, uh, especially the way that uh, Western was playing, especially shooting the basketball. But I don't think they attempted that many. But the fact that nobody in the 10-minute extra frame for teams that like to shoot threes did not hit a three, I thought that was just an interesting sort of fun fact uh, in that contest. But Western, another big win. And, again, that was one of those, you know, if Wofford hangs on, now all of a sudden them and Western are tied uh, as far as the standings go for that 4-5 slot. And then you're just talking about, all right, who wears the home, who who wears the away jersey. And then you start working off all the tiebreakers, but that win puts a two-game cushion between Western Carolina and everybody else and then drops Wofford back where they don't want to be, which is in a tiebreaker with ETSU because mm-hmm. ETSU swept them. And then for Mercer, same thing. They're like, man, we, we had this win at home or we at least had a shot to try to get a win against Sanford, and they got out of it. So this is uh, – I this has turned into – I didn't think there would be a couple teams to run away, which there's three of them. Uh, and that's traditionally in the Southern Conference. You go back and look, there is really a three-headed monster tends to – to rule the roost, if you know what I mean. And then everybody else is kind of fighting for the rest. So it ends up turning out to something I didn't think it would be. Um, certainly I thought UNCG had a shot to be in that top tier, not knowing that Chad Nugent and Jake Steen was going to be hurt and drop them down. So there's a little bit of play. But thought Furman Sanford would be up there with everything else. Western clearly um, better than where I think most people had them. And then everybody else gaggled up besides Chad and the injury Stevens is right where they were. So I feel like the, the people still had a good pulse on the league on the men's side. Now, on the women's side, a um, couple big games. UNCG uh, will travel to Wofford. Western Carolina will be at Furman. Chattanooga at Mercer. And then ETSU at Sanford. And then that's really, I think, the the biggest kind of swing of games because for the women, it's it's all jumbled. I know Sanford's alone at 7-2, and two, but that's really because of the half game um, – Wofford only played Furman last week. Sanford got a couple in, so because of the double round robin, there's a little bit of cushion there. But Sanford's going to play a couple of games. They're going to get Chattanooga at 5-3 and three, and then ETSU at 4-4. Four and four. Mercer at 6-3, and three, a game behind Sanford. Has to keep pace because they've got the same duo, Chattanooga and ETSU. And then for Wofford, a chance really, you know, to, to get a couple wins uh, at home, Kevin, because if they knock off UNCG, it's 3-6. and six. They knock off West Carolina at 2-7, and seven, then they're just kind of playing the waiting game where in theory – Sanford's got a couple of tough opponents in, in, at home, though, against Chattanooga and ETSU. Yeah, you're right. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Wofford sweep Sanford already in the regular season series? So they would already hold that tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken. I think I, I think it was like the first time ever they swept them, if, if I saw Oh, no, no. I, I, it was the first time they swept the road swing Mercer-Sanford. Okay. So maybe because, they played. Yeah, San, Sanford's loss, uh, they got two losses. It uh, was Mercer-Wofford. But that was the first time they had – that road swing. Uh, yeah, that road which is swing. Not an easy thing to do, right? Uh, because that's by far the 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 two best uh, uh, teams there. So, oh, so they yeah they'll end at home against Sanford and Mercer. Oh, so they still, so, so they, they do have a yeah. they have a yeah. shot still yeah. to sweep them. Okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the two offs there. So, uh, you know, for ETSU, if if Bailey doesn't go for Sanford, and uh, I talked to Keith before um, him and Mike Ezekiel got in a van to head down there, he asked my thoughts, and I think the Sanford's a great matchup. I think they had things going in the first half. This was the Rufus Milner mm-hmm. injury. Kind of sucked the life out of the building. Yep. It was already Courtney Moore went down. Yep. Then Rufus Milner went down, and hers was different because you you heard the scream, right? I mean, you saw the pain. 
it was non-contact. We showed one replay, and then I got in uh, Stephen and Patrick's ear, our, our video staff, and said, "Hey, man, just I'm queasy enough as it is. Don't don't show that no more, <laughs> because you could almost see the knee kind of explode as she landed. That's the best way I could describe it, and you knew it was bad, and she probably wouldn't be able to come back. And then Sanford hit right after that, right after the injury. A minute later, they got back-to-back threes to send it to halftime. Then they come out and score, I think, the first six or so. And you could tell. It was an emotional drain. So I think this is a game where ETSU is going to be able to use some of that. And because it was a good matchup and a good uh, everything going ETSU's way kind of early, I think if ETSU can jump out to an early lead, which has been a little bit of a problem uh, against some of these upper echelon teams, except for Sanford. That was the one team they did have an early lead. If they can get out to an early lead, I think they can win this one. My concern, and I'll talk about it tomorrow uh, with Keith as we'll recap. He's going to call in from the road as we recap Sanford, talk about Mercer. My concern on the back half of that is the athleticism of Mercer gave ETSU's fits the first time, and not having Rufus Milner, it's still going to give them fits even more so, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, we got within a possession in that Mercer game, and all of a sudden, Mercer started hitting shots. We went cold, and, and things fizzled from there. But going back to that Sanford game, yeah, you're right. We're up three at halftime, but then we gave up 30 points in the third quarter. And I don't know. That'll never happen again with an ETSU coach mock team. We pride ourselves on defense, and we also love winning that third quarter. You saw what happened in that Furman-Wofford swing when we got hot in the third quarter and just routed them from there. So we take pride in playing defense. We're not going to give up 30 third-quarter points again. Uh, to this Sanford team. And that's the one thing I remember is we got off to that great start. The injury happened. Bailey just started hitting three after three after three. They weren't getting any shots early. And then once those shots started falling, it was contagious. They made 10 three-pointers. So if we can limit their strong three-point shooting and just take our pride in our defense, it'll be a good game in Birmingham tonight. All right, so that's what we're going to have tonight. 6.30 pregame show, 7 o'clock tip time. It'll be Keith Brake having the call of ETSU and Sanford tomorrow's podcast we're going to break down that game then we're going to talk about the mercer contest saturday we'll also break down etsu and vmi we'll give a little bit of thoughts uh, uh we have a little bit of thoughts i guess on men's basketball but we didn't go over really each game we'll do that on tomorrow's uh podcast as well so a little bit of a shorter podcast but we want to go over the seedings of men's basketball and our thoughts on that strength of schedules all the breakdown of that and um have a little fun and uh, get Kevin back on. We haven't had him on in a while. It's been fun. Good to have you, buddy. Big thing is, let's go beat VMI and get back in the winter. Yes, let's. It's be a good weekend to pick up three wins. Two on the women's side, yep. one on the men's side, because Coach Mock battling for position as well. They got a shot to finish in the top couple as well. But it starts with beating two teams in Sanford and Mercer, and we need a little bit of help from there since Sanford's only got two losses. But a lot of games to go as Sanford still got to play Mercer a second time. And they got to go to Wofford, which you already mentioned there as well. All right, that'll do it for uh, this edition of the Jay and Key Show. We'll be back with you tomorrow again, breaking out women's basketball. Then we'll be previewing a lot of things. Don't forget, Friday night, Heroes Night, inside Freedom Hall, and it's Friday instead of Saturday. And then it's just one game Saturday on the road. You can tune in to the Buccaneers Sports Network. So Jay and Keith, another episode. Buccaneers Sports Network! Oh, you gotta be kidding me!